Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of Bashmania is here. Today, we have Iowa Hawkeye slash North Carolina Tar Heel, Tony Ramos on the show. I say slash there because he had an incredible career at Iowa where he was a Big Ten and NCAA champion, among other accolades. And now he's coaching at the University of North Carolina, and him and Coleman Scott definitely have something great going on over there. So we're going to talk to Tony today about his athletic career and his successes and failures, and we're going to navigate through to his current coaching career. So super pumped to dive into today's conversation. If you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, be sure to subscribe. And if you subscribe on Apple, leave a five-star rating and review if you like this podcast and if you enjoy this episode, of course. Either way, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get started started it's bashomania let me tell you something brother he gave us everything he had in him tonight what you gonna do what bashomania runs wild oh it's gonna be a good one and business just picked up here on the podcast Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if I should introduce you as a Hawkeye or a Tar Heel, and I'm not sure where your loyalty stands right now. How do you divide that? Um, you know, for me, I'm always a Hawkeye. Um, you know, I want to see the program that plays me well. It's where I kind of made my name for myself and helped me, you know, get to where I am today. But when it comes down to, you know, UNC and Iowa's wrestling, I'm always going to be with my guys and have my back and be with my team. Um, other than that, though, you know, I like seeing Iowa do well. I still like I got feel like I got a pretty good relationship with some of those guys sure. over there, and uh, pretty pretty well connected with some of them. Um, so you know, that doesn't change. Yep. And we'll talk a bit more about the Tar Heel and Hawkeye and the transition. But before we get there, I want to go back to when you were young. You have such yes. an incredible youth career, and even all through high school, like everything you did in Illinois was fascinating. And as many times as we've hung out and chat, I've never got to ask you some specifics about this. So I'm excited to kind of get this story out there. So I know, I believe you started wrestling when you were, what, like three years old with your brothers? Yeah, three years old. My uh, older brother, Frankie, he's half-brother. My mom wanted us all to be on the same team for at least one year. And the only way that was possible is if I started wrestling when I was three because he was in eighth grade. And then what happened after that is... We uh, wrestled for the Villa Lombard Cougars. They had told my dad that the only way I could come is if they opened up a kid's room. So my dad had to go and run the kid's room, and he, he coached us, you know, most of our years when we were young and kind of just cutting our teeth with the sport. And did you know early on that you had some talent and, and what was going to unfold over the next, like, 25 years? Like, when did you start realizing that? Obviously, by the time you get to high school and all that, I know – it was either what, like sixth grade or something. You started training with Izzy. Like I, you, you knew yeah, very early you were good, good. Like how did that all come to fruition? Um, I think I knew, I don't know if I say I knew that I was really good, but I started having success, you know, really early. Um, first two years when I was wrestling, I struggled a little bit. I got pinned all the time. I was still really young. Um, but I think once I got around, you know, four or five years in the sport, I was winning a lot of matches. I was beating a lot of kids and I was just a mean, you know, little prick uh, <laughs> who liked to go out there and hurt people, I guess. Um, I also hated losing. You know, I remember times where I would throw the worst fits in the world. My parents would not be very happy of how I was behaving and how I was acting after I lost matches. Uh, it wasn't pretty, but I think that's kind of what drove me a lot, you know, in my later in my career and early on to get really good. Is that where the stare down started by hating to lose early? I don't know. Uh, I think that one started more just, you know, Mike Tyson thing. I read a lot on Mike Tyson, and that's how he could sense fear in his opponents. And, you know, I thought it was something that was pretty cool and kind of went with it. 
And and how did you? What was the connection to getting hooked up with Izzy? Izzy is such so, you know his story is fascinating. When I had him on the podcast, I was just like my jaw was to the floor. Like he's got so many good stories. So I'm curious. We didn't talk too much about you, but I'm curious in your perspective on how that all came to fruition. Um. So when we were going kind of through our wrestling career growing up, we moved around a couple times. Uh, my parents moved to, from Carroll Stream to Johnsburg. So when we moved there, we went to a club called Stateline Wildcats first. And then after a few years, we went to the Junior Golden Eagles. Then near the end of my career, we ended up at Martinez Elite. Martinez Elite was ran by Jose Martinez, who's Izzy's dad. Um, we knew them really well just growing up because Izzy and my older brother Frankie actually wrestled growing up a lot. Yep. And then we had some relationships with their cousins and Izzy's mom's sister. Um, so we were, we were pretty connected in that way. You know, we had a lot of family friends. We call them our cousins now. Um, so we all knew of each other. And then when I moved to Martinez elite in seventh grade, that was when Izzy got into all his struggles. Iowa got thrown out of there and came back home. Yeah. Um, he started working with his dad and, you know, we would get some extra work in with him um, him and his dad didn't have really the best relationship then, so they kind of split off. Yep. And I went with Izzy with a couple guys, and that's kind of when Izzy start, style wrestling started up, you know, with me, my brother, and, you know, two, three other guys. Um, and then from there, it just grew. And how crucial was that component of your career, like the growth you experienced <clears throat> with Izzy? And, you know, there's always the debate on when kids should really dive all into the sport and go to all these national tournaments and really make a career out of it. And it seems like you kind of committed early on and you never really burned out, you know, like I, I, you obviously see the kids that do, but you didn't. How crucial was that time period of starting to train with Izzy for the longevity of your career? I think it was really good because it helped set me up for college and for some of the grind that I was going to be going through. Um, I think a big thing when Izzy got out, is he wanted someone who was going to kind of finish what he started and actually go to Iowa and do things that he, you know, was expecting to do. So sure. I think he really put some extra effort and emphasis in me on that end and to make sure I was prepared. You know, he taught me some higher-level wrestling things. Um, but, and a big thing he taught me was just, you know, how to get freaking tough and work hard. Sure. Um, and it really set me up for when I got to college to be able to, you know, make it and grow in my wrestling skill-wise. Um, you know, with the Brands Brothers and getting better in that area because I was already freaking tough and I already had a lot of will to win that I learned, you know, going through with Izzy and some of the things he had done with us and the training methods that he kind of implemented. And I, it seems like a lot of people think that Iowa was, was a shoo-in for you, but weren't you also – Oklahoma State was in that recruiting process too? What was that recruiting process like? Yeah. So the recruiting process is pretty funny. You know, I had a couple schools. It was really Iowa, Oklahoma State. Uh, but Illinois, I looked at it a little bit. Um, Mark, or not Mark Perry, Carl Perry, I was really close with him, Jeremy Hunter. They always coached the Fargo teams. Um, and, you know, Carl was recruiting me pretty hard. Uh, they signed a kid at my weight who, you know, I didn't even know they were, they were looking at. Uh, and I was – I guess I could say I was a little pissed off by it, Um, but I wasn't totally out yet. You know, he came to visit me. He still talked to me a lot. Uh, I think what kind of was the nail in the coffin is, you know, I I think I thought, and a lot of people in Illinois thought Carl Perry was going to be the next head coach. Um, And when that didn't happen, he kind of left it. That's kind of when that flame or fire kind of totally went out. Uh, The other one was then it came to Oklahoma State and Iowa. And Oklahoma State was offering me a pretty good deal, but it was really between me and John Morrison, whoever they went after first, whoever committed first. And I got a call one day when I was in school from Guerrero uh, saying, hey, you know, John Morrison committed to us. He really put us on the spot and told us, you know, we had to, he was either going to Wisconsin or kind of take his offer. And, you know, I was like, well, so what's the deal with mine? Am I, is everything just gone? Is it in, is it out? I never really got an answer. And that's kind of, really when I made my decision, all right, screw this, then, you know, there's one place for me that I'm going to go to, and that's Iowa. And when I went on my trip there, um, you know, we sat down. Tom Tom was uh, getting ready to take us to the football game. It was me, my brother, my dad, and Izzy. We were getting ready to go to the Iowa State football game. And it was just an unofficial visit. We walk in. 
he's talking to everyone. There's a group of people there. You know, I wasn't the only one there. We're hanging out for a little bit, and then we get ready to start walking over to Kinnick Stadium. And as we're walking over, my older brother looks at Tom and goes, Tom, we didn't come here to watch a freaking football game. We came here, you know, to figure out if Tony's going to be a Hawkeye or not. So Tom looks at him, and he's like, all right, let me drop these guys off. We'll head right back to the office. So we drop these guys off. We turn right back around and walk down the path, you know, right back to Carver Hawkeye, walk into the best room. They have the uh, old offices and everything. We walk in the old offices. There's a little film room. And we all sit down and start talking. And Izzy kind of had already prepared me way beforehand. Like, hey, sure. what if she only offers you like 10%? What if she only offers you like 5%? You can, you can take it? I was like, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yep. So, I kind of went in there knowing like there wasn't going to be some crazy offering, you know, even though I was a pretty good recruit, I had done a lot of good things. Yeah, I was at a place where they were national champs. They had spent a lot of money, you know, had those guys come over from Virginia tech. Um, so it was, it was one of those, it was one of those issues there. And, um, he, he looks at me and he goes, Hey, I got 3% for you. And then I can give you, you know, X amount the next couple of years. But this is all we can do. And he kind of broke down numbers of what some of the other guys were on to show me, like, hey, we don't, we don't give full rides here. You know, we're trying to win. Yep. <laughs> and I just looked at him, and I was like, all right, I'm in. Where do I sign? <laughs> and, my dad, and my dad was like, kicking me. Like, what the heck just happened? And, you know, my mind really didn't change. Um, I went home, drove home. My dad my brother is here. Everyone's sitting in the car like, oh, my God, what just happened? Like, you just freaking told this guy you're in for 3%. <laughs> and you're I feel like, like a lot of 30, people don't know that. Like, a lot of people don't know that side of the recruiting. They just think if you go to a big school, it's a free ride. They don't understand that yeah, side of it. it's hard. It's extremely hard, especially being on the other side. Now, when I sit here every day and have to look through numbers and figure out how the heck am I going to land this top recruit with only this much scholarship left to put a team together. Um, yeah. It's a harder thing, but I think that story and that, you know, my process in that and really – you know, reaping the rewards and the benefits at the end, I think it translates well to some of these kids when I'm recruiting them because I can go in there and tell them, hey, guys, I didn't get money. I got $70,000 in student loans. But, hey, it's not a worry to me now because look at the positions it put me in. Correct. You know, I can afford to pay them. I can afford to do those things because of what it set me up for afterwards. Yeah, and I think it's important too. Like, you know, people don't realize that. I, I think for me, one of the most – biggest blessings that I endure is when I can minister to somebody else because I went through something. And when you go yep. through something, it gives you a whole different perspective for you to sit down with the recruit and say, I've been there. I didn't get a full ride oh, yeah. to Iowa. I got this. And you know, I'm curious too. So like when you went there, it, it's kind of wild because Iowa being Iowa or not, like you won what three state championships in Illinois and you were setting yeah, school records, like most takedowns in a career, best season record. Like, you had no joke of a high school career. Were you worried about how do I continue to get better? Like I know some people are really good in high school at different degrees, but then it's like, okay, dang, I was a three-time state champ. Is there that mindset of, okay, now I'm going to Iowa. I got to get even better. Or is it like, I'm that good. I'm going to do good at Iowa. Um, I think for me, and this is, I think, you know, there were two big things that really my freshman year, I think got me the job and got me the spot. And when I got there, you know, going into Iowa, it's freaking hard to win over those fans if you're not an Iowa guy. Sure. You know, from day one, they always want the Iowa kid in the lineup if they, you know, if it's a pretty close, you know, decision to make. Sure. And when I went there, and probably why I didn't get offered a lot of money, is they had a kid named Nate Moore who was the number one recruit in the country and supposed to be the next Tom Rams at my weight class who was an Iowa kid. So I knew going into it that I was going to have to do extra and I was going to have to make it not even close when it came down to it that he was going to be the guy. Um, and not just, you know, in Tom and Terry's eyes, but from the fan point. Yep. Because in Iowa, it's like a pro team. You hear it. They voice their opinions. They tell you what they're thinking. And you got to be able to deal with that on a daily basis. Yep. you got to have some really thick skin. Um, so I think that really helped my development, you know, and not falling into the mindset of like, man, what's next? What am I going to do? You know, it's more so like, all right, here's another challenge. Let's go freaking do it. And I imagine having Izzy in your corner helped with the transition to Iowa because kind of like we were just talking about, when you've gone through something, you're, you're able to help somebody else so much more clearly. 
And with Izzy going to Iowa, getting into trouble and not making it, and him being in your corner, I'm sure that meant a lot to you and had a big impact to say, like, dude, this is what happened to me. Don't let this happen. And here's kind of how to avoid it. Did he help you with yeah. that transition to Iowa? The biggest things he helped me with were in the first year. You know, I, I did do some stupid things and got in a little bit of trouble. Nothing like with the law or, sure. you know, that was illegal, but just not some smart decisions. Yep. Um, and he would call me up and be like, dude, what? Tom's pissed at you. You better freaking go talk to him. <laughs> right. You need to figure this out. And it got to the point where, you know, about the second time after that happened, I remember Tom brought me in and we're sitting there and he's, he's with me and he had Danny saw in there and he goes, you know, there's two people in here because I'm not going to this he shed, she shed thing. Yep. And, uh, he goes, we can go upstairs right now. We can sign your release. Cause you're on your way out of here. Wow. And I was like, I was like, all right, you know, I'll figure it out. Don't worry. But there's one thing I do want to tell you. I go, I'm a freaking grown man. If there's a problem or there's an issue, you talk to me about it. Don't call my brother. Don't call Izzy. Don't call my dad. Like, that's not how we're going to get things solved around here. And I think he got a lot of respect for that when I kind of said it like that to him because I was owning up to it and I was yeah. owning up to him in the future. Like, hey, any mistakes I make, they don't, that's not on them. Call me and come to me and we'll figure it out. And that's kind of when our relationship, I think, really kind of took its next step because. You know, he, he, I think he understood that I'm okay to have conversations and talk about things, even if I think I'm right or if I think I'm wrong, you know, we'll figure it out. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny, we'll, we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but, you know, yeah. you mentioned after you left Iowa and went to North Carolina, the importance of clearing your head. And I think it seems to be a common theme of, like, having that clear conscience and clear mind and clear vision, like even then, like getting that off your chest, getting that out of the way, and then boom, it's over and you're able to move on. Like when did you, did it just come natural to have that perspective of like clearing your mind and making sure you have a clear perspective? Like where did you develop that? Uh, I'm not really sure. You know, I think it's always been kind of something that works for me is you know if there's problems if there's things that's going on either we fix it or we move past it because if you hold on to those things and you let those feelings you know eat you up it's it's going to hinder you and your work somewhere else eventually yep. you know and that's not a good thing to be able to hold those in so if you even with my guys today like if there's something they're doing or there's something that i don't like that they're doing i'm not just going to hold it inside and bottle it up because you know i might take it out on them later We'll yeah. let them know right then and there. We're going to figure out the problem. We're going to talk about it. And they might not like my answer, and I might not like their answer, but we're going to come to some type of agreement. And I think that's why a lot of them maybe trust me and believe in me more so because, you know, they know I'm not going to um, take some revenge on them or hold something against them. You know, we figure it out, and every time afterwards it's some guys, my the way I feel about you and what I'm going to do for you does not change. Yeah. Nothing is going to change. You know, I still – you're still my guy. You're still, you know, the guy I thought you were when you came in here. Yeah, we had a little situation. We're figuring it out. We're moving forward. And I'm going to keep helping you the same I was when you first got here. Nothing changed. So I think they really appreciate that. For sure. And, and you know, again, it's that common theme, too, of, like, having been there and being able to talk to them. Like, so many coaches – don't necessarily have the success you have had. So I think it gives you even more weight. I mean, if you look at your NCAA career, it's there, there's so many accomplishments and, you know, there's so many different things. Like, yes, you were a Big Ten champion. You were NCAA champion. You were 34-0 at Carver-Hawkeye. Like, you, you had so many accomplishments, but you also overcame a lot of adversity. Like, you dealt with battling early on when you first got to Iowa with, with making the lineup and improving year after year, what would you attribute all that constant growth to of overcoming that adversity, whether it's, you know, edging out a lineup spot against an Iowa kid and having to win over the crowd, or whether it's, you know, just being shy of All-American that freshman year and continuing to get better and better and having to overcome that. And, and I'm sure, you know, a lot, mm -hmm. of, a lot of guys tell me, like, I had a goal, I wanted to be a four-time NCAA champ, or I wanted to be this. And one of the common themes I'm seeing is is that that process of resetting your goal and getting back to work. And I'm curious what your perspective is on how you did that of yep. overcoming a loss, defeat, adversity, whatever, to continue to have a better and better college career. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, it was always chasing down something freaking great. Yep. And it really wasn't always setting a goal of, like, being a four-time NC champ, winning the Big Ten title. You know, it was easier for me to chase someone down. And I think Logan Steber was a 
big reason of why my growth was where it was. Um, you know, and it couldn't even have been a reason of why my senior year maybe wasn't as good as my junior year, you know, because there was something there to freaking chase and something that I could tangibly see and, you know, kind of feel or have to match myself with. Um, and and that came down to the same thing, you know, when I was trying to get in the lineup my freshman year, you know, Nate Moore, Tyler Clark, those were guys that I had lost to sometimes. And there was always something that I had to freaking work extra harder to try and, you know, get over that hump or to win, to win that wrestle, to win that spot, you know, and I remember, you know, sophomore year, junior year, always like, Hey, my goal wasn't just to beat Logan Seaver, was to freaking, you know, be the best in that weight class and win the national title. But to do that, I had to beat him. It wasn't really that I was focusing on him. It was just, I had to get better to be able to get what I wanted. Um, And I think some people get caught up on just focusing on one person instead of focusing on, you know, the task at hand is to win a national title. All right, well, I got to beat this guy, so I better figure out how to get better in positions that these people are beating. Um, so, you know, it was it was always chasing things down. And then when I got to the senior level, it was, you know, chasing down, like, guys like Rahimi, who, you know, I had close matches with and things like that. And, yep. you know, I feel like once those guys started to disappear, I kind of started to slow down a little bit until – you know, a guy like Dayton Fix came in that's one thing these younger guys right. that you're trying to keep up with. So there's always people or things that you can use and find to motivate you. Um, and that's one of the big things Tom always used to talk to us about is what motivates you? What makes you freaking compete? What makes you wrestle hard? Some people are driven by, you know, the fame. Some people are driven by the big man on campus. When you get older, some people are driven by the money. And I know they say money isn't something you should be driven by, but man, if it freaking gets you motivated, then use whatever it takes to motivate you. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people who don't have a proper perspective of just getting better. And a lot of people mm-hmm. don't have that that goal of chasing greatness. And I think it was actually Gilman who talked about um, process goals and, and making yep. sure that you're, you're continuing to get better day to day and you're having goals along the way and it's cliche to say that, you know, it's not the the journey or it's not the destination, it's the journey. Those things are true. And oh, yeah. you know, what 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 did that role in college of overcoming adversity and climbing to that NCAA championship, how did that help you and what was that transition like to, to the senior level? Um, I think it helped me in the fact of like knowing I had really closed the chapter on that story in that book. Um, it gave me good closure to be able to move on to the next thing. Um, and I didn't even think I was going to wrestle in 14 on the senior level. You know, I was getting married. I had decided like, Hey, I'm gonna, I've, my body's been beat up. I've had knee surgeries every year after season. You know, I need a little bit of a break. And at the time, that's when they switched the weight classes. And I was like, there, I can't make that weight. There's no right. chance I can make 57 kilo. Um, and then I saw Graf make it at the U.S. Open, and I was like, oh, maybe I can. That dude's huge. And then I sat down with Terry and talked a few times, and he, he said, he's like, you can make it. That's my weight class. I wrestled that weight. I know you can make it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And one thing they always told us is we don't try. We don't, you know, you don't go and try and make a world team. You don't go and try and win a national title. If you're going to do it, you freaking put everything into it, and you put your mindset to it that I am doing this. And that's what I did. And I freaking went out there and made the team that year. And, you know, I had a couple close matches, but really, really not anything crazy. You know, yep. I, I made the team pretty soundly. Yep. And, and what did you, from a standpoint of, I, I know you said in an <clears throat> interview after you retired, like you have no regrets in wrestling. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to talk about that transition from athlete to coach, but while you're still competing, and you're not hitting certain goals. You want to be a world champion. You want to be an Olympic champion. Yep. And what's that process like to to not hit a certain goal and still have success while doing it? Like still being a two-time world team member and, and still having that success, but not hitting other goals of success. What's that process like to where you can have a piece about it and there are no regrets? Yeah, I think for me, and this was something I learned my junior year, um, sophomore year when my tournament got done, my brother came up to me and he said, Hey, did you do everything you could to be a national champ? And I looked at him and I said, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. 
junior year when the tournament got done, he asked me the exact same question. I was after the finals, and he, and I looked at him and I said, "Yeah, I think I freaking gave it everything I could." And when you're able to sit there and tell yourself that you did it, everything you think you physically could, or you prepared right, you did all the things right, and you still didn't have success. Sometimes that happens in the sport, and it's a sport that's you know gives you the highest highs and the lowest lows and the biggest heartbreaks. Um, and there's a lot of people that walk out of this sport with tons of regret and never satisfied and never right. happy. Um, and I think you've got to be able to look at it perspective wise, the right way to be able to move on. You know, if you have tons of regret and tons of anger towards the sport, when I get into coaching, how's it going to help me? Right. So when it was time to walk away and when it was time to retire, you know, I had, I was at peace with myself. I was at peace with my family. I was at peace with my competitive career and everything I had done. Cause I felt like I did a lot of things the right way, you know, not seeing everything, but for the majority and for most of the time, when it really came down to it, I feel like I did everything that I could. Um, and you know what? It just wasn't in my cards. And the other thing is when I started coaching, I loved coaching. You know, I love helping these guys reach their goals. And my passion that last two years really kind of started to transition to more focus on them than myself. Yep. And that's kind of when I knew it was time. Like, hey, you know, you loved wrestling and you loved competing. That same love you had is now somewhere else. Let's just move on to that somewhere else and kind of, you know, let the other thing go and stop hanging on to it. For sure. And, you know, speaking of, you know, and I remember when we were doing a photo shoot for Scrap Life back in 2017, and we were at Cannonball, and, and I can't remember whose yep. kids you were you were helping, kind of like a quick practice or clinic or something. But oh, yeah. I remember your passion for those kids, and that was like 2017. Everybody, anybody who was like around, sounds like man, no, nobody wants you to stop wrestling, but you're going to be such a good coach, and and you develop that mm -hmm. passion. And I'm curious what the transition was like when, you know, if if you talk about the 2016 Olympic trials, you beat Coleman Scott in the semifinals. And then you lose in the finals, and the next thing you do, you are coaching and, and going with Coleman Scott. What happened there? Mm -hmm. That what was that conversation like, or what was the progression like? Where after your match, you now you know go join him. Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing I could say on that is Coleman took a huge risk, and a huge chance, um, and definitely had to put you know kind of his ego aside. Sure. Um, you know, we knew some people that were kind of in the same, you know, running group and we made some calls and we talked and Coleman heard that I was interested in freaking in coming to North Carolina and, uh, his wife wasn't very happy about it. <laughs> um, you know, I don't, I don't know if a lot of people, I don't even, my wife was very happy about it, Sure, but we both saw a very unique opportunity. I think we saw an opportunity in two programs that really don't work well together coming together and trying to work and, you know, I wouldn't say reinvent the wheel, but take what we know best from each of those programs and kind of make our style of coaching and our style of wrestling and our philosophy. Yep. Um, and at the same time, I think we both knew we were pretty um, competitive guys who really wanted to win and one of the best. And I think we knew that you know, even if we didn't agree on a lot of things, our end goal was always going to be the same. And that was to freaking be the best team there is and win. So, now that we've been here for a couple of years, I think it's been one of the best decisions both of us have made. I've learned a lot from him. He, I think he's learned, you know, a lot from me too. And we work really well together. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. How soon after the Olympic trials did he reach out to you? Uh, we reached out to them like the day after. Wow. So that, that happened quick. Cause I know there was it the whole really fallout with, with wanting to leave Iowa and all that. Yeah. Um, but I think that kind of took the surface, and, and that was the that was the story on the front end. And I think nobody yep. really saw the story of how it unfolded, where you and Coleman Scott wrestle in the semis and then get connected within days. And you know, it, it, yeah, it was. So my brother actually reached out to him right away, and Coleman was flying through Chicago, coming back from the trials. They met that next day before they went to the airport and sat down and talked. So it was like immediately. And that's so, it's so funny with wrestling because it's one thing I don't understand with MMA is how somebody can go out there and beat the crap out of each other and then like hug and be like good fight man yeah like it takes me so much to get mad if I were to fight someone and wrestling's a little bit different but there's still there's that like aggression like I want to be the best and it does take humility 
on both parts with that. And, and it's fascinating to see. And what was the process like in, in transitioning to North Carolina? Uh, biggest thing for me at first probably would have been housing. <laughs> when sure. we moved here, you know, my wife was pregnant. Um, I had one kid. We, we kind of, I want to say we exiled ourselves from Iowa, but, um, <laughs> we, we moved out pretty fast yep. and my wife was living with her dad with AJ for a little while in Illinois back or in Indiana back in their house while I was kind of transitioning into here. And then, you know, that all happened trials are in April. My wife and my kid weren't out here until August wow. when we were living in, uh, a bedroom above, you know, the garage at Neil Erzman's house, um, you know, for a whole month before house was done, you know, cause we came out here and they were building these new subdivisions. So we just bought one of the houses that they were building. Yep. Um, so it took a little bit of time. We weren't in the house till September as a family. Um, so wow. I think that transition was really hard on everyone. Um, and then for me coming in here was kind of just really learning my whole role into the program and then some of their coaching styles and philosophies because I knew mine were going to be way different. I knew we might have, you know, some big different opinions uh, that we would have to work through. But once I got here, I realized it wasn't as different as I thought. You know, everything was – the end goal was the same. Getting to the end goal were the different things. So yeah. that's kind of where we took both of our our philosophies, our theories, things we've learned from Tom, things he's learned from John, and kind of put them together. And, you know, with us both willing to be able to, you know, give some and take some, I think that's why our program is transitioned to where it has so fast. Sure. You know, we went from like 70th in the country four or five years ago to, you know, this year in duels, we're, we're seven, eight, five, depending on where you're looking at. Right. And when it, when you go to North Carolina and your passion is still to compete, but you're developing that passion so much for, for coaching, you're feeding it more and more, was it a struggle trying to figure out how much longer you should compete for, knowing I still got something left in my tank, but I'm also really starting to love this coaching? Like, What was that struggle like? Uh, I probably should have been done in maybe 16 or 17 you know, I think I knew when I should have been done. It was more so, I guess, pulling the trigger and actually doing it. Sure. Um, there were a lot of conversations with people. There were people trying to tell you one thing, trying to tell you the other thing. But none of them ever really wanted to tell you, hey, it's time to retire. Yep. You know, it was more so like, hey, you still got this. You can still do that. Look, you did this. You did that. And I think I was the only really one, you know, I wasn't saying harder in my head that had that in the back of my mind of like, no, it's time, man. It's time to actually do it. Um, and I think a lot of athletes struggle with that. Like, when's the sure. right time? Um, and is there ever really a right time? And, you know, some people still question it. Like, Why would you do it last year? There was one more year till the Olympic cycle. Right. Or for, for the Olympics. And I sit there and I tell them, does that matter? No, when when you know you know, and when you when it's time, it's time. It doesn't matter if you're halfway through the year, if you're in Olympic cycle, if you're in the first second year of it. You know, there, you just you you got to do it when it's right for you. And do you think your passion for coaching helped you make that decision on when the timing felt right for you? I think so. I think it really did. Um, <laughs> I just tell people a lot. You ever seen Cars Three? Uh, I think I've only seen the first two. I don't have kids okay. yet. <laughs> All right. Well, I went and saw Cars 3 yep. with uh, my son, AJ, who loves Cars. Yep. And Cars 3 is pretty much about Lightning McQueen going through the exact same situation I was going through. And they freaking hit, like, every feeling I had, every thought I had on the head in a little kid's movie. And I was like, man... Am I watching my life right now through <laughs> this movie? Um, and I honestly, I think that helped give me some perspective because it was pretty much the same thing. You know, I was starting to find my guys here that I loved coaching and I loved working with. And Troy Heilman was a big freaking part of that um, who made, who showed me that I could coach and that I could develop a guy. Yep. And that when I put a lot of effort and passion into it, you know, look what I can do for a kid who, you know, like him who has it there, it just hasn't been pulled out yet. Um, 
and I think he was the one who really kind of opened my eyes. Like, man, this is what I need to do. This yep. is it's time to go into this. This is really what I need to do. So, you know, it it, it was easy for me. And you know, you guys obviously have, I'm, you kind of alluded to it and and mentioned it, but like. Coleman Scott comes from Oklahoma State. You come from Iowa. You also come from, you know, a strong background of coaching in Illinois. What yep. do you think was the successful formula for you guys to merge those coaching styles that has worked for North Carolina so far? I think the biggest thing is we both sat down and we looked at what worked in our programs and what did what would we have done different? Or where do we see guys burn out? Where do we see guys struggle? And we've kind of took the best things. And we see at the end, we made these plans like, hey, at this time of the year, this is when we need to do this. At this time of the year, this is when we need to do that. And there are some times where we'll step in and say, like, you know, I really think we need to push here. I really think we need to pull back here. And we'll say why. We'll, we'll talk about it. And then we come to an agreement. We're like, yeah, this is what we need to do. And it might not be either of them. We might mix it together. Sure. You know, it's really fun on a day-to-day basis. And our technique is just so different. You know, right. I came from... I came from a place where you're very disciplined in your technique. There's not a lot of scrambling. There's you beat scrambling by being disciplined and being stingy. Yep. You know, I Oklahoma state low singles, getting in those funky weird positions coming off the back door. You got to do different things to be right. able to finish those. So we really can relate to almost any kid across the board, you know, and we're, we're doing a better job really this year of understanding, you know, you have your core group of guys well you know what guy a might not be working well with me so i'm gonna put him with whoever else he works with and we're not gonna we're not gonna have egos about it if someone's not working good with us and we understand that our our personalities just clash yeah we're gonna do what's best for them and all right you're better with him yeah go ahead take him you know it's it's not it's not like an ego thing. It's not an issue thing. It doesn't mean you're a bad coach. It just means you guys don't work well together. And what has the recruiting process been like starting to now journey into a, a new portion of your career where yeah. you were obviously recruited and you understand what recruiting is, but being now in, in on the opposite side of the desk, what has that process been like getting used to a new kind of a new part of that journey mm-hmm. within wrestling? Yeah, this year has been really fun because uh, the first year I got here, I was still a volunteer assistant, so I could only yep. be really on campus recruiting. Uh, last year, I was an assistant, and I helped out still more with recruiting. Um, but this year is really the year where Coleman's kind of, you know, said, "All right, here's the numbers. You do what you think you need to do. You set up the visits. You tell me where I need to go, kids I need to call." It's kind of really gave me the lead charge on it. And we got a really freaking good class coming in that we're excited about. Um, and it takes everyone on that. You know, there's been a lot of people that have put effort in on these kids to make this happen. Um, yeah. and, and it's been fun. And like you said, you know, I've, I think what really helps me is I have stories from failure. I have stories from success. I have stories from overcoming things, sure. chasing down, you know, a four-time national champ, um, not getting money to earning money to, to try and give money back to get a better team. I have every story you can think of on that and for a recruit. So I think it's really helped me when I go and talk to these kids, you know, to be able to re- relate with any of them. Um, and the fun thing about recruiting is when we first got here, you know, a guy like Austin O'Connor, he bought in on a vision. Yep. There was nothing it set. We hadn't done anything yet. There was a vision we had that we went to him and we had to sell him like we were freaking selling, you know, ice and Eskimo. Sure. And we got him to buy it. Now, we've done that with some of these kids. We've sh- we've shown where we're going. We've been able to show these people how our vision's playing out. And we actually have results. So it's getting a little easier in that sense. You know, it wasn't back in the day where we had to offer every kid a full ride up front just to get them to even look at campus. Right. <laughs> now, totally. they're coming to us. And now we can say, all right, this is what we're planning on doing. These are the weights we need. This is our where we want you at this is where we see our team and you know x amount of years and these kids are really buying into it and they're loving it they're loving you know our relationships with the guys with us being a very young staff we we relate really well to them um really kind of up on the pop culture and things like that yeah so it helps a lot and i know that 
you know, while you were still competing, you you were one who always tried to utilize personal brand as much as you could. You 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 know yep. had a website, very active on social media, did did a lot of brand deals. Have you tried adjusting your personal brand now so that you're and, and I kind of know the answer, but I want people listening to hear it from you. Like, yep. have you adjusted your personal brand to say this is no longer just about me trying to show my value to a potential sponsor? This is now me trying to sell the the UNC program to potential recruits who are watching me on Instagram and watching me on Twitter, and I need to kind of build that personal brand more now, not necessarily to get sponsors to throw in a singlet, but to get the recruits to look and to change that. Like, How have you balanced how you utilize social media now that you're a coach? Yes, 100%. Uh-huh. You know, I think one of the biggest changes was I learned in the turn from you know, heels in the face as soon as I left Iowa. Uh, I think that helped me gain some fans. So that was a good start from the beginning. Yep. Um, you need you need to know you need to know your I guess your audience. Yep. When I was in Iowa, I knew what my audience was. Now that I'm gone, I know what my audience is, and it's probably not going to be the Iowa fans. Sure. Uh, even even though some are still there, and yep. you know, I still love those guys, but that's just probably not what it's going to be. You know. Um, but the, the biggest thing, like you've said, is now not only am I trying to sell myself, but even more so, I need to sell our program and I need to sell our team. Right. Um, just the other day, I started a TikTok and all the guys were making fun of me. <laughs> Dude, it's like, the right move. No. I was like, I got to have a TikTok, guys. I got to have one. Yep. You know, the 16 to 24 year olds, it used to be Snapchat, then it was Instagram. Now their main social media platform is TikTok. Right. Those are the guys I'm recruiting, those are the guys that are going to be looking at our program. Um, and I put a video up of O'Connor, you know, when he got cramps a couple of days ago, and it freaking blew up. It was like 400,000 views. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think being savvy and that and understanding that helps kind of grow our program brand also. Uh, but another thing we got is last year we had an intern who was a student named Joe Angel who we hired as our director of ops, but really to kind of control all of our branding and social media and SND stuff. He is a freaking man. And he has grown not only our schools, like wrestling program, platform, social media to next level. But one thing that he's doing, and he's on top of the game, especially with, you know, this name image and like this thing possibly passing, Yep. is he's growing our individual athletes brand. Sure. You know, he hire, he doesn't hire, he goes out and gets three, four, five photographers. So we have thousands of pictures from every dual meet, every practice, and every that. And then he's immediately passing them out to all these guys, like, hey, here's a photo, here's a photo, take this photo, take that photo, post this. Because yep. he understands that the best way to grow the school and our program's brand is through our athletes. If they're posting yep. stuff with UNC all the time and they're getting to their followers and their, you know, whoever, mom, dad, sister, cousin, brother who retweets favorites, we're touching tons of people we might never see just through the UNC brand. Yep. Um, so he's really smart on that, and he's helped us a lot. He's definitely helped pick up Coleman's uh, social media game. He does a lot of his stuff for him. So, you know, I think we, we got really lucky with finding this kid. He's only you know, 21. He's only graduating at 20. Smart kid. And it's really helped grow our program in that sense. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he was one of the first ones to release those videos that a lot of the ACC schools are doing now. Yep. Um, so he's, he's kind of really – been in charge of all that for us. And how have you leveraged being young in a, in a sport where, you know, a lot of the, the, let's call them top 10, top 20 schools are guys who are traditionally doing things more old school way, right? They view social yeah. media as a distraction, which, which it can be, yep. but how, how are you leveraging how you use social media and how have you started to say, you know, I think some of the coaches that are now, let's say, in, even in their 30s or 40s, they didn't grow up with it. You grew up no. with it to the degree of, hey, I competed at Iowa with social media. I was you know, making world teams with social media. And I think going mm-hmm. back to the thing we've been talking about of having being able to say, I've been there. I did this. I, yeah. I, I shouldn't have done this. How has that helped you being able to, to allow people to use social media, which I think a lot of these young kids, they want, especially if this yep. you know name, likeness, and image thing passes. These kids want to also be able to leverage their brand, and they might say, hey, I might not go to the top a top five school, 
but I might be able to go to a top 10 school and build my personal brand because, hey, the odds aren't that I'm going to be an NCAA champion, but I can use those four years of competing in the Big Ten or the ACC to develop my personal brand. Like, is that part mm-hmm. of the recruit? Not, I don't want to say part of the recruiting pitch, but are you? I'm assuming you're trying to leverage that, that a lot of coaches don't have that experience. Yeah, I don't think it's really part of the pitch, but it's more so, like you said, I think these kids, they want to be able to do the things that are cool. And Twitter, Snapchat, all of them, those are, those are the cool things right now. They want to be seen on them. Yep. But like you said, you know, some of these older coaches, even when I was going through, I was told social media was a distraction. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Um, but I think even now they've understood it's not. Like, you better freaking get on it or you're going to fall behind. Sure. And I was actually super happy to see Thomas Gilman made an Instagram and a Twitter account, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Just in the sense of, you know, he was one of those guys who thought it was a distraction, but I would never sit down. You know, I would love to have sat down and tell him, hey, dude, you you don't understand. Like, you're missing a lot of opportunities because when these sponsors and stuff come to you, you don't have a following. Right. You're not valued to them. Yep. And even more so, when you do get into college and you do get into coaching, no one knows who you are except through maybe making the world teams and stuff because they don't see you on these platforms. Sure. They don't see your posts. They don't see a lot of – they just don't see it. Yep. Unless they see it in front of them on that screen, you're losing you know, your value to them or to the companies or to the recruits and to the kids coming up on a daily basis every single day. And um, I think he kind of realized that. I saw an interview the other day where he was talking about he, had a, he has a platform, yeah. you know, that he can really help. And, yeah, it's 100% true, but it's also a platform that's going to help him in the future when he does get into coaching. And to that, you know, I, I think you're right because I, I've never been in your shoes. So I, I can't attest to when – I mean, I'm in a marketing for a living, so I'm all about building a personal brand, and I'm all about using these, these platforms as a tool. You can use them to connect. You can use them to get brand deals. But I can't attest to the distraction and, and what it what it means when you're trying to compete and people are talking crap about you and you're getting caught up in rankings. And I'm sure that's something you'll continue to develop more and more as you develop your coaching style of trying to always be at the latest and tell people like, yeah, it can be distraction. Don't do this. Don't do that. Not boycott it. And I definitely think you'll, you'll have an up, upper hand against some of these old, old school coaches who they have their methods to success, but... What, what won you championships from 2000 to 2010 and 2010 to 2020 is not what's going to win you championships and not going to build brand and programs from 2020 to 2030. Winning's winning. That's always going to create relevance. But there's only one winner, right? And, and that leaves oh, a lot yeah. of other people to be second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth with opportunities now who don't get it because, you know, they stayed off it. Yep. Switching gears here before we wrap this conversation up. There's so much to be excited for. We got... ACC championships coming up, NCAA's Olympic trials. What are you excited for coming up? I'm super excited for the ACC championships first and foremost right now. Um, just biggest reason is because it's what's next for us. You know, obviously we got these two duels coming up. We got duel versus Arizona State on Sunday. But really the next step in the process of, you know, qualifying to that national tournament yep. or really the biggest step in that process for our program and seeing where we're at and really showing these recruits, hey, we're here is the ACC championships and it's such a competitive conference right now for the top four teams that anyone can win at any given day. You all you sure. have to show up. All your guys have to wrestle the best. So we know we got a chance. We know we're right there. Um, we're excited for that to go out there and, you know, bring home uh, ACC championship Chapel Hill finally, yeah. you know, since I think 95, 97, wow. you know, it's been a long time. Sure. So we're super excited for that opportunity. And then after that, you, you NCAs. You know, I, I think we're a top 10 program. You know, individual rankings, it's not showing it very well, but I think our guys can go out and really make some noise and surprise some people. Yep. Um, and, and I'm also excited for the trials. You know, it's this is the Olympic trials, I think, could be another huge stepping stone for our program, especially with a guy, you know, like Jordan Oliver, who we have a chance to get on that to get on the team sure you know he's been to a couple different places it hasn't worked out for him and if we can be the program to really kind of get him laser focused and where he should be at and you know 100 percent in and on ready to go you know we can go to these kids and say look we can put you on olympic teams we've done it we, we've gotten guys who have tried at other places 
and couldn't put it together onto those teams, you know. So we're excited for all those opportunities ahead. It's going to help us, in, you know, a lot of ways if we can get these guys, you know, doing the right things and in the right spots. For sure. And before I let you go, one one final question. Speaking of Jordan Oliver, what has it been like having him in that room and having such him having such success? Like ever since he's he's come there, he's just on a tear. He can't be stopped. It, what is it like yeah, having him in the room? It's been awesome. Um, it's great for our guys in the room, but the, the best thing that I've seen is you hear stories about Jordan. You know, you hear all these things. You hear that he does this, he does that, and you kind of sit there like, man, this guy's so good. But how's he so good with doing this? Yep. And I think a lot of it's really hearsay because what I have seen with my eyes, and unless something's totally 180 changed, I've never seen a guy who is as bought in and as focused and doing all the right things as he is. You know, he hasn't any weight issues. He's works out two, three times a day. Always focused on is really making that team and not just making it, but winning. And it could be a thing where he's at a place now where he respects everyone that's around him and coaching him. You know, he, he really respects Kenny. He really respects Coleman. They did a lot for him through college. But I think the angle that I have where I get a lot of respect for him is I was a guy who competed against him and beat him. So yeah. he knows I'm not just going to, you know, take anything from him that he tries to throw at me. You know, I'm going to try and help him. And I'm going to talk to him. And, you know, when there's if there were something that I didn't think was going right, you know, we'll have that conversation. I think he respects me enough to have it and not just kind of shut me down. So, you know, I, I think it's really been a good transition for him. And I'm sure for the team too, right? For your team to have him in the room and look oh, yeah. up to that, like that's that's huge. Yeah, you know, for him wrestling with some of these guys, he's really helped Sherman a lot. He wrestles with him a lot. Um, he's helped O'Connor, so you know, so it's been really good. Yeah, it, it's been fun watching. Well, listen, man, I'm gonna let you go here. Thank you so much for taking the time to come by the show, and I'm sure I will see you no soon. No problem. Thank you. Sounds good. We'll see you. Awesome, man. See ya. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're a Tony Ramos fan, you know there's a lot we didn't get to talk about, so there's a good chance he's going to have to come back for part two of this conversation soon. So be sure to like and subscribe. Leave a five-star rating review on Apple Podcast. If you want to support the podcast, subscribe, like, share, tag us. You can get some apparel at shop.bashmania.com. Send me a message. Let me know what you thought of this episode and the show as a whole. I appreciate all of your comments and all of your feedback, and I try to respond to every one of you. So... Thank you so much for tuning in. I will be back real soon with another episode. See ya. And the beat goes on.